this morning when I woke up, I was receiving a text from someone in California, and it was Psalm 87, and I read it, and the Lord said, no, stare at it, or think on it, consider it, and as I looked at it, something began to emerge out of it that, you know, I knew was something God was, was speaking, something God was stirring, you know. I'm going to read this, and, and it's really going to be an anchor place. We're going to diverge for a minute and then get back to it, Okay. So here we go, Psalm 87, on the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. And, you know, I was, I was thinking about this uh, the other day and even this morning. And, you know, when, when Ezekiel says, you guys have heard us quote this several times, when it says... Um, Show him the form of the temple. And if they feel shame, then reveal to them the whole of it, including the entrances and the exits and all these other items to it. And if you were to ask people how that materializes in our current day, how would you show them the form of it without giving them the entire blueprint? And I think people might say, well, maybe you invite them to a church service. And they come in and they see that we do two or three songs, then we do a sermon, we do two or three songs, some do offerings, some do it in the back, you know, and we show them the form of that and they say, okay, I feel some shame, show me a bit more. Does anyone feel that that's what the passage is saying? Okay, so if they're looking at this and, and they're saying, what is it that we're supposed to feel shame about? What exactly is causing us to say, tell us more about God's design and purposes. I think it could start somewhere in the beatitude that states, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. But yet again, it, it does feel as though in the modernity of meaninglessness that we're all encapsulated in or swimming in, righteousness is a term that doesn't really mean much to us, does it? We hear righteousness, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Is that something that's forensically declared that I am in the heavenly places? What exactly am I talking about? What is it that God is saying, the person whose heart and soul is longing for this more than anything else, this person is going to be satisfied? What is that? And I would say it would be right relationships is what he means by that. Seek first the kingdom of God and right relationships, and all of these things will be added unto you. Now, right relationships have a hierarchy, right? Meaning they need to start at the place of supreme importance and move down from there. So that first right relationship needs to be with the Lord. And so we're told that those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God have a faith that will overcome the world. There's something about us getting back into that sonship, into a place of a child of God that reconciles something deeply wrong and conflicting inside of man. Right relationship, though, then can move to 
right relationship within a home. Right relationship that would exist between a husband and a wife. Between a father and their children. Between a mother and their children. And we could see that there is a need of right relationships there in order for righteousness to be declared across the whole world. In order for God's people to be carrying a torch that brings light again to the way we're supposed to relate to one another so that life would flourish in God's people, then we're going to need to see people rightly relating to one another. And we can move beyond that and we could say, how about family to family and brothers to sisters within the church? How about within the church order? Are we going to need to recognize giftings and callings and see the distributions of that giftings? And are we going to need to then rightly relate according to those giftings so that we all have the right measure? If you have an evangelist that's leading a church, you're going to have a Jerusalem with no walls. If you have a shepherd pastor leading a church, you're going to have a Jerusalem with walls 200 feet high. A pastor cares about his flock and is looking for the wolves, but he's potentially keeping Peters out because he thinks they're a Judas. An evangelist says, bring them all in. Right? But then you've got a bunch of wolves in the midst of it, and you've got licentiousness multiplying itself within the church. You have to have the ordering of gifts that start to touch these different places so we don't see that occurring. We see something ordered and composed by God. And so what you really see happening in scriptures is you see an exit out of the sustained presence of God in Genesis into man on an exile, a pilgrimage. But where is he going? Where is man heading to? Well, sometimes the end of the book can really help us with where we're headed. And the end of the book says Eden is coming all the way back. It says that, you know what? Finally, the dwelling place for God is amongst men again. And yet, what is that dwelling place described as? It's described as Zion, the city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, a place ordered and composed by God's own design and by his hand, and when perfectly framed, it is the dwelling place of God in the spirit on this earth. So man sets out on this exodus, and what is he looking for? The sustained presence of God on the earth. That's what he's looking for. I mean it. That's your pilgrimage if you are a Christian. Your pilgrimage is to find the sustained presence of God on this earth. You don't want it for an hour on Sunday. You don't want it for 30 minutes in your prayer closet on a Tuesday morning before the hardest day of work that you feel like you really need the Lord for. You want the sustained presence of God to be in your heart and shared amongst all of his people and to be experiencing him and knowing him every moment that you draw breath. If that's not the longing of your heart, you showed up to the wrong religion. This faith is about getting God sustained back on this earth and his people without interruption. And we have quite a calling to see that happen. When the calling first came to Moses, 
to go into a sustained presence, he gave them the pattern of a tabernacle specifically designed just as God had showed him. And when he had built it, exactly as God had designed it, from that place, God's sustained presence came back to this earth again for a season. And yet you got this sense, didn't you? Over that badger skin tent in the middle of the desert that this was but pointing to a greater reality. Even the design of it, wasn't it peculiar? The pomegranates up on top, the vines stretched out across, this ornaments of a garden-like imagery. How about that no natural light could come in, but only a holy light from a lampstand made of a single piece of gold that could not be broken, that was fueled by an oil so pure that it gave off no smoke. So there's a go. What is this place that's going to mark your sustained presence, Lord? This is peculiar, isn't it? A badger skin tent where no artificial or outside light can come in, but only the light and illumination of God by his spirit showing us the world as it actually is. Wow. Well, we all know what happens, but things begin to shift and a new pattern is given because a man under great distress says, I will not enter my house. I will not give rest to my eyes until God shows me the place he's going to put his name. Until God reveals to me the place of his sustained presence, I'm not sleeping in my bed again. I'm not going back into the comfort of my home. I'm not giving my eyes any rest. That type of distress for the presence of God starts to change things. And then God reveals a pattern yet again from the heavens. And now it's going to be the building of Solomon's temple. And you guys remember how it goes. While they're still under construction, the presence of God falls and, and dwells in there the entire time, right? Is that what happens, right? You know, the builders, they've got some of it kind of right. I mean, it's not that important, right? Everything doesn't have to rightly relate to one another now. No, I mean, just when they're kind of, they're, they're feeling good about the direction of this, God's presence, boom, comes in, in a sustained way is in the temple. Is that how you guys recall the story? I don't, I don't either. In fact, I recall the story being something quite a bit different than that. When everything had been built exactly according to design, the presence of God fell, and it was so powerful that, believe it or not, no flesh could enter in. No flesh could make their way into that place anymore. This was a move of God, but it was God saying, here yet again, in a place carved out, a place that I said I would put my name, here in this place, no more shall you do, each one of you, what you think is right in your own eyes. 
But when I show you the place I'm going to put my name, that's what Deuteronomy 12, he says, listen, you guys have all been going about worshiping on this hill or doing that or saying this, but when those days are complete, you're going to know it because I'm going to show you a place I'm going to put my name. And when I do that, all worship now needs to be in that holy place. That place that is ordered and composed according to the heavenly pattern and design that God has given. You know, when I had a friend come out to visit us from um, Idaho, he had visited us in, uh, in Chalice first. And um, if you haven't heard about Chalice, um, that's good. <laughs> um, I used to tell people because they would say, um, what's going on in Chalice? We want to come visit you so we can see what's happening in Chalice. And I got to tell you, that really bothered me. And the reason why it bothered me is because I did not have a view of Zion as a geographical location. I did not believe that God's sustained presence was coming to a dot in the map called Chalice, Idaho. I said, there's nothing for you to come out and see unless you're interested in how relationships are supposed to be configured one to another. And if you have a concern or burden for that, then when you come out to Chalice, you'll see some people milking goats, and you'll see some people trying to deal with weeds in their cabbage patch, and you'll see us doing it like we just got out of the city, because we did. Um, and it's not going to be very impressive but you're going to see a group of people who are looking to make right sacrifice with God again. You're going to see a group of people who want to treat one another according to God's design and pattern. And you're going to see a group of people who are amazed at the creative order that God has made and want to steward it in a way that reflects the sons of God on the earth. I said, if you have a desire to be in right relationship with people and come visit us. Well, this man came and he was unimpressed. Um, I don't think he heard what I said. He asked about the economics of what we were doing. I had a lot of plans. I felt to share none of them with him. I instead opted to say, I'm okay if he thinks that we're a complete fool and have no idea how this thing's going to play itself out. I had thought that businesses needed to be discipleship platforms, and there was going to be an array of those businesses based on certain economics and things. I didn't feel to share any of that with him. I didn't feel it was right to. I just let him make his precursory judgments, assess what we were doing, and mosey on along. But all of a sudden, a change of heart happened. He wanted to come to Waco, Texas and visit because he heard that we had found that God was moving in Texas and maybe him and his family would like to be a part. Now, interestingly enough, I didn't get to hear this directly from the individual, but heard it because he reached around and about in order to get himself there for a month. And I thought, boy, this just doesn't feel right if he's coming into 
a feeling of the need for right relationships. I wonder why he wouldn't even reach out. He literally showed up without even sending a text to me telling me he was coming. This is my pursuit. This is what I'm doing, you know. And he came and immediately, so who am I supposed to meet? What, what, what is this supposed to, you know, I'd like to get into these doctrinal questions. and We've got to get these things figured out. And I, I, I've got some revelations that I need to share with you. I've got some things God's been showing me. Amen. Um, you know, have you, do you know about the eternal purposes of God? Well, I think I do, but maybe I don't. Can you share with me? And, well, you know, it's, it's big. And, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know what you guys see around the eternal purposes of God. There's things I want to share. And you want to know one of the first um, introductions I made, it was with Brother Safrir. And I highly esteem Brother Safrir, and he means a lot to me in my life. And if there's anyone that I feel like I could give a litmus test to of where they're at on visiting the community, I'm usually going to have them run into Brother Zafir first. And you want to know what he did? I was embarrassed because of our friendship. And I'm thankful that he was tolerant of it. But you know what the man did? I introduced him to Brother Zafir. And he looked at him and he said, oh, yeah, great, great, yeah, uh, wonderful. Yeah, oh, oh okay, oh, f from Israel, huh? <laughs> wow, wow, that's great. Yeah, oh, by Galilee, oh, wonderful. Oh, this is great, oh, great. Um, oh, well, it was, you know, this was really nice meeting you, you know. Uh, well, what, what a great story, you know. And then wrapped up and left. And, and I was watching it from like, let's say they're right there doing this, and I'm right here and I'm watching it. And I feel the words of Ezekiel come over me. Show them the form of the temple. And if they feel shame, then show them the whole thing. And when I saw the lack of honor, the lack of regard for an elder and a community that have been pioneering this for four or five decades, and I saw the disdain the contempt by which he was handling it. I said, I'm not interested in showing him another piece of this. Until I see a shift there, I'm not interested. So, a journey back to the sustained presence of God is what the pilgrimage of mankind is marked by. How do we interpret the dwelling places of Jacob? Because the dwelling places of Jacob were powerful encounters that we had with the Lord. There were times in which God met us in a time of great need. Is that not what every dwelling place of Jacob was? Was it called Peniel? Is that right? Is this Genesis like 32 somewhere? That was one place he wrestled with God. Before that, though, he fell asleep on a rock and had a vision of a ladder that stretched from heaven to the earth. He called that the house of God, Bet-El. <laughs> These were important places. Do you remember that when he was facing Esau and he wrestled 
That was Peniel. And then later, when he is struggling through something else, God says, return back to Bethel. Go back to that place and make sacrifice. These were important places. These were not just high places or something like that. These were places in which God met with someone, and God changed them. God moved on their heart. They were used to being bondage to this fear or bondage to this sin, whatever it is, and God came and touched the heart and something forever shifted there. They could say, I'm going to name this place in my life. I remember what it was. This is the place that God met with me. And yet, would you say parking at that place is a mark of pilgrimage? But is that not what we've done? A revelation comes to God's people and we build a monument to it and park ourselves right there and say we've arrived. And yet, the pilgrimage of the distressed heart continues its course looking for that sustained presence. It is thankful for the move of God at Bethel. It is thankful for the revelation of who they are at Peniel. But it is pressing on into the revelation of God descending down and making his dwelling place amongst his people on this earth. It is continuing that course. When he says he loves Zion above all those other dwelling places, he's saying those played an important part in this journey. But they have to be a stepping stone to a greater hunger and a greater desire for them to have been significant. Otherwise, don't we just nullify the work of God in our life if we don't go all the way to what his heart is for his people? Don't we? Don't we discount those Bethels and those Peniels when we don't continue on a course towards God's design and purpose for his church? We do. That's exactly what we do. And the only way we're going to reverse that, the only way is when a repentance is so thorough that a sustained hunger can be met with a sustained word that would lead people all the way to that place of his dwelling. If we want to think about it, from the Garden of Eden, couldn't you just say that husband and wife in right relationship to God and to one another, having children was God's original design to bring his image across the whole earth. So our journey back into a dwelling place of God in the spirit, it's going to look like where we began. But there's a piece that has to be added. Amen. And it's what Brother Ossie was teaching on last night. A repentance that unites or weaves your heart unto the will of God until it's one flesh. There's no division. So first, the husband and wife relationship has to be Christ and his church. You see that? That's the Adam and Eve union that has to come back for a sustained presence. 
But then from that place, it can inform the right relationships that are going to sustain God's presence in our everyday life. Can a wife say, yes, sir, and not mean it from the heart? Okay. Can a husband say, get it together, and not love her? Amen? Okay. Can a wife bring a cup of tea and say, I thought you might like this, and I have nothing other fueling it in the heart, really? Can that happen? Amen. But what if God reveals to us that the design of his temple and his church are living stones, which are people? And what if he tells us that to rightly order ourselves one to another in right relationship according to God's design and pattern is going to bring that sustained sense of his presence every day of your life? If God starts to reveal that, then a wife's motivation for honoring her husband becomes a reflection of her hunger for the living God and his sustained presence in her life. There's something that transcends now the ordering of our relationships. It's not just a yes sir or a no sir. It's God, the attitude of heart, the honor and reverence that I'm supposed to hold in these relationships somehow forms a container that ends up being living stones in which your temple comes and dwells in. So if I get this relationship right, and I do it because I hunger and thirst for you, God, I desire to know you every moment, every drawing breath, and you tell me that to insult the spirit of grace, to grieve the spirit of God, is to be in violation of relationships to those around me. It is to grieve the spirit because I take place or I live out of the identity of my flesh. I have some selfish ambition. I have some frustration. I have some envy. And all of these mark like separating walls between two people. It makes it so that there's nothing sustaining God's presence. The way that this church can be different altogether after these meetings is to take the compilation that God's put together, that we must reorient ourselves around his word. We must be those who live off of his word. When it's coming, it is our food and drink. We've got to be those who are discontented with the cheap fuel and Twinkies and Oreos of this world and who are looking for the sustenance that we know is God's presence. We have to be those who are willing to see our will crushed by looking into that perfect law of liberty and saying, God revealed to me every false motive. God revealed to me every bit of sin that I harbor. God, show me every place I'm playing a game and polishing the outside of the cup, Lord. Amen. God, bring that holy light, Lord, until it changes everything, Lord. Amen. God, there's no building project for me. It's going to Calvary. It's going to be crucified, Lord. I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm not going to defend it. I'm not going to exalt it. I'm not going to nurture it. 
Lord, everything's going to change with this will, Lord. It's going to be exposed in your holy light. I'm going to die to my own ways. Amen. My course has left me a disastrous place. Lord, I lay down that course, Lord. Amen. Take me, Lord, and shape me, Lord. That is the starting place of building materials for the kingdom of God. And if you're tired of living in the day of judges, where you get a Savior that comes in only for a season, just to deal with the same nonsense over and over and over again in your life, then you're going to have to get into the right order of relationships one with another. There's no way that we can snuff out the enemies of our soul that are present in each one of us unless we start to relate to each other and it brings a holy light that says, God, there's something corrupt in me. There's something that jides against the discipline of the Lord. There's something that doesn't want to submit. There's something distrusting in me. God, you're going to have to put me in relationships. God, that brings a holy light into every stronghold of Jericho that exists. Amen. And then, Lord, you're going to give a strategy. You're going to give a grace. You're going to give an anointing. You're going to give your ministers a word, Lord. And something's going to change in me. Lord, a word's going to come, and I'm going to find the place of practice, the place of altar, the place of sacrifice, and God, things are going to change. That's the work of the church. It's like no other work in all the earth. Amen. It can change everything. It can change every heart that would see it and say, I see how you relate to one another, and I'm shamed by it. Amen. I'm shamed by how you treat one another. Why is there no selfishness here? Why are you not twisting and manipulating each other for your own gains? What is this that you've had done to you in your heart? I want the same, God. I want the same, Lord. Amen. That's what the church is. The church is a light like no other light. It's a light that comes on the earth and says, you guys, you guys, God has made a way for us to be reconciled, for us to be right with him, with one another, and it can be the healing leaves to the nations. It can change the course that all of us are on. Amen. Don't you see it? You can't get to the place you want to be. I promise you. If you will not go to the place in which he says he's going to make his name dwell. A place ordered and composed by his hand according to his pattern. If you will not go there, you will be in that paradigm of every man doing what is right in their own eyes, wondering when a real ruler is going to come that puts God's sovereignty and authority and order and life back out across the earth. This was the longing of the true patriarchs. This is what they didn't receive and had to welcome from afar. This is what Jesus said, for the joy that is set before me, I endure the hostility and shame of this cross because I see a people, I see a people who will die to their own will. And if they'll be ordered by God and his spirit, they're going to come together in a way that the world's going to say, you ever seen anything like this before? You ever witnessed anything so beautiful, so harmonious, so ordered by God, so full of life? Amen. Amen. That's what the Lord's doing. Amen. And I'll tell you, we're coming at the tail end of something. And there's a starting point for everyone here. I'm going to get my relationships right. I'm going to get my relationships right. 
God, show me the place. Amen. Show me the places you've connected me by natural birth or spiritual birth. Show me those places, God. Show me to start holding honor and regard. Show me to start relating and opening my heart, letting a holy light come in again. God, when I bristle against it, don't let me stray from your commands. Amen. Show me, Lord, your hand of discipline. Let me know that discipline's not rejection. Amen. Amen. Let me trust you, Lord. You know, husband and wives, you're put together because you can't make it apart from one another. And yet each of you have got to become something in God for the other person to see this all the way through. And you're not going to be able to relate with another family and be feeling the sustained presence of God when you bristle against one another like that. It's not going to work. Amen. If you want to know, it's not a building. It's not. It's not a program. It's people who hunger and thirst for the presence and life of God every moment. And who say, God, if your way is to compose us and order us that you would dwell with us without interruption, then I'm on board. I want to be shaped for that living stone rightly fit into your house, Lord. I know what's possible. You see, God is not putting it on some distant shelf, is he? Isn't this word as near to us as it could be? What a disaster to tear down God's house because we love fanfare. We love conferences, but we won't love the order of relations that would bring a sustained presence on the earth. What a terrible thing. You know, that's not going to be you. Amen? Amen. You guys are hearing this word, and you're already saying, new repentance is coming to me. I'm making a new commitment here today. Not in the flesh. It has no strength. Amen. It can't do anything. Amen. I'm making a new commitment to die to that place and to live by the power of your spirit. And I'm going to yield to you, Lord. I'm not going to bristle anymore. Amen. Your rod and your staff are going to become a comfort to me like none other. That's what I believe is in this room. That's who I believe is looking back at me. Amen. And that's why I think San Antonio can be a place for his name. Because people will get a hold of this. And when they get a hold of this, I don't care if it's two families sitting out in the middle of nowhere outside of San Antonio. If they get a hold of oneness, God's going to add to their number. And when he's done polishing that jewel, he's going to put it up on display. And the nations are going to flock into the unity and oneness that they find in God's people. Amen. As Brother Zach has been speaking to us, I think of Jesus saying, wherever two or three are gathered in my name. We think that that means get in a circle and call on his name. It's not what it means. It means in his authority, in, in his name. His, his name represents his authority. Many are willing to gather together in their own name. They're willing to gather together under pretty much any configuration except his ordering. What God is showing us today is that we are the temple. We are the house. 
where his presence can be sustained if we will allow him to configure us according to his design. That's something worthwhile. Amen. Just as a, as a proof, what does he say? What does Peter say to husbands? He says, live with your wife in an understanding way or else what? The presence of God. Your prayers will be blocked, will be hindered. What does that show us? It shows us what Brother Zach has just taught. That it's our relationships one to another that allows the presence of God to be sustained. It's the one thing we discount. It's the one thing we want to get past. It's the one thing we sweep under the rug so we can get on to the big things. If somebody did come and visit the community or visited a church and they saw a light they'd never seen before and they asked, what is this? We would tell them, it's this. It's a humility to be serious and to let God's word start in the most basic relationships. I'm sure, Mom, you've been thinking of uh, what the Lord spoke before y'all moved to Colorado. They were in on the East Coast for about six years, right? And a church had started. There was a constant growth. It was the Lord's will. It was so exciting. And the Lord gave them the vision for living in community. It was a daring, audacious concept. And they didn't have any examples that were successes. In fact, they were, they were told it will fail. Some of the men that my dad most regarded said, I prophesy to you, you will lose all your people. That's what, that's what they told him. And <clears throat> so they went out and they found a farm in Massachusetts that seemed to be just exceptionally configured for their plans. And it was, it looked like it was going to work. It had all of the accoutrements, all of the framework. And they were just poised to take this step. And they were praying. And the Lord spoke prophetically to them and said, Do not move into community. Get your relationships in order first. And so they spent a year focusing on nothing but relationships. God we got to get these relationships ordered. And after one year, they were able to pull up roots and move 1,800 miles away to Colorado. Amen. Only one family stayed behind when they made that move. But in the span of just two years, the church, not only did they, lose, did they not lose all their people, the church doubled in size in two years' time, it went from 120 to 240 in two years' time, according to that letter that we have from Dad. We just pulled it out. Amen. That's not why they did it. They did it to give God a place where he could have his presence as a reality on the earth. But the Lord did multiply. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. There's this simple song that we sing, Come and go with me to my Father's house. Amen. And I, I kind of want to twist it and say, come and be part with me of my Father's house. Amen. That's what God is doing on the earth today. Don't you feel faith? Don't you feel excitement? Amen. When God wanted to bless all the families of the earth, he wanted to give an impact that would 
touch and transform the whole earth, he formed a family. That shows us the priority he places on the husband-wife relationship, on the father-son relationship, the mother-child relationship. Family is God's revolution. That's why he's made of the church a family. Amen. He is our father, but we're all one big family. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary pure and holy tried and true with thanksgiving I'll be a living sanctuary for you so Lord Purify us, purify us with you. 